Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You could also chime in via Twitter. We'll get to your phone calls and tweets using hashtag GiantsChat. So the Giants are continuing OTAs today. This one not open to the media today. And they're going to mm-hmm. wrap up tomorrow before they break ultimately for the offseason, the return for the start of training camp. The rookie's going to hang around, Paul, for an extra week, as yes. Pat Shermer noted yesterday when he spoke to the media. But we are getting down to the end of the official offseason program because when they come back, it's the start of the season once they put the pads on and they get training camp ready. And, you know, this is going to be the quiet time. This is going to be the time of the year where, and Pat Shermer was asked about it, which is no surprise, What's your message to the team? Because you're parting ways for about six weeks. What do you tell your team in terms of you want them to find a balance, Paul? I think it's important where they need to get their minds off of football a little. I think that's healthy for anybody, any job. But at the same time, if you're working out on your own, you've got to keep your pacing there. You've got to make sure that you stay in tip-top shape because the worst thing that can happen, Paul, and you've seen this more often than not from covering the Giants, is guys come back for the conditioning test and they look like sometimes completely different individuals. And that's the worst fear of a coach. You know what's funny, Lance? Uh, Let's go back a couple of decades now. And I remember, you know, going up to Albany or going to Fairleigh Dickinson-Madison for the conditioning test and watching a handful of guys stumbling all over themselves, (laughs) tongues down to the ground, uh, literally just heaving and wheezing. (laughs) And, uh, you know, some of the linemen had a really, really rough time with I those conditioning tests. Uh, that was then. This is now where you may have one guy who doesn't pass the conditioning test in today's game because these players understand that their bodies are basically their machines and they're taking much better care of them during the off season than they did in the old days. And when I say, again, the old days, I'm talking like in the 80s and 90s. Uh, where guys really did tend to slack off some and maybe didn't do a whole lot and maybe ate a little too much and enjoyed things a little too much because, after all, they felt that they had deserved it after a hard season. Well, then they get back for the conditioning drills, and, man, Parcells used to really give it to them. (laughs) And they'd do those gassers, and you'd have guys throwing up in buckets on the side. I mean, I know it's lunchtime, folks. I'm not trying to gross you out, but... There was some there was some very interesting sights to see over those years and really now as I said these guys are finely tuned machines and and if you see one guy who flunks a conditioning test that's like a lot nowadays. Well, I think you bring up a great point which is that treating your body like a machine and also the individualized focus on the body and technology, Paul, has completely changed the game. Sure. I mean, how many players also, in addition to leaning on their coaching staff, they're going to go out on their own for the next four to six weeks and they're going to have a private trainer or they're going to have a positional guru. You know, how many offensive linemen, Paul, they go work with an offensive line specialist or a quarterback. I remember when we were talking with who was it that we had on that worked with Davis Webb before the draft? Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn, right? So Zorn specialized. I mean, now he's with the XFL. But prior to that, I mean, he was working with a lot of quarterbacks in the offseason when they would be away from their team. He wasn't trying to teach them something new about their offensive scheme, just going through the fundamentals and so forth. Well, we've already heard that the the Giants rookie first-round pick, Daniel Jones, is going back for a short time to Duke. Yep. 
I mean, David Cutcliffe is back there, quarterback guru. He knows Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones knows him. He's got a tremendous reputation, does the coach. So Daniel figures, you know what? I've got six weeks off. Let me go back and take you some advantage of that and get a little more schooling and maybe uh, talk to Cutcliffe and, and see what else he can polish up before he comes back here to uh, face Coach Pat Schirmer again. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, to be honest with you, I think all rookies should probably try to find that offseason mentor in their first summer before they take that first huge step into the NFL. Yeah, I think it's a very wise game plan. And sometimes people get scared of, well, the more voices you throw the way of a young player, Paul, it becomes overwhelming. But I think when the player is here with the team, a lot of it is learning the scheme. But these specialized individuals, they're not trying to throw them off with the scheme. They're just trying to get them to maintain their shape so that when they return to training camp, the fundamentals are being preached. So I, I don't really think the two overlap where there should be a fear. Even I'm, I'm talking about if I'm a positional coach with the Giants or I'm Pat Shermer, I'm not worried about them going off with their own individuals no. or own coaches because I, I don't think that confuses them at this level. Well, besides, we all know that the coaching fraternity in the NFL also does extend to a lot of the coaching ranks in college. These guys are not unfamiliar with each other. They they have an idea. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. David Cutcliffe knows Pat Shermer and vice versa. Okay, so you know if if uh, Daniel Jones is going to see Coach Cutcliffe, and you know David decides to put in a phone call to Pat and says, "Hey Pat, you know, I, I know he's been with you for about a month or so, but was there something in particular?" That, uh, that you saw that you were kind of hoping he'd tweak a little bit on because, uh, you know, he's coming down to visit me for a couple of weeks. I'll see what I can do. I mean, <laughs> you know, this happens. And it sort of puts that individual, David Cutcliffe, almost like a consultant for the team. I, I know that that's not an official title, but well, if they're helping out they're personal consult their they're, they're, they're personal consultants for individual players because these guys don't necessarily know team loyalties they know individual loyalties. Because their players are scattered across the NFL. That's why you see a lot of players, they intermingle with one another in the offseason, even though they're not teammates. Because either they went to the same college, mm -hmm. they have a relationship, Paul, with the same group of coaches. So there's a lot of overlap. You always hear stories about, oh, I know this running back because we went to the same gym in the offseason. Whatever. Especially the guys shared. who are from Florida and they're University of Miami grads. Everybody talks about the U. Well, the those guys, they're thicker than blood. Okay, if you if you came out of the Hurricanes football program, chances are at some point during the offseason, you're going back to train with Hurricane alums. That's just the way it is. But I think that network's great because it not only helps the players work out, but you know what? If I'm a young player, Paul and there's somebody that graduated or went to Miami who played my position, I'd love to just talk shop, no talk doubt. football with them, right? I no mean, doubt. That's not necessarily a negative resource to have. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets along the way. Other thing that I wanted to address was the press conferences from yesterday and when is it that we ever have a coach or a player talk and things are not blown out of proportion? I'd love to experience one of those days. Or twisted. Or, or twist. taken out of context. Correct. So the reason why we've got to address the elephant in the room, for the lack of maybe a better phrase, is I think a lot of people read way too much 
into Pat Shermer's answers to some of the questions that were posed his way about the quarterback position yesterday. And if you look across the NFL mainstream media, the headlines that were twisted and turned as you phrased it, Paul, was to the point of, I would think, absolutely ridiculous. So I I want to provide some context here, and then I'm curious your perspective too because you were there. This was, by the way, the exact phrase question that set things off, Paul. It was, quote, is there a scenario where Daniel Jones can win this starting job in training camp? That was the exact question that Pat Shermer had to answer. And this was his answer. Quote, I think we are going to play the very best player, and I know we are dancing around the words there. Right now, Eli is getting ready to have a great year. Daniel is getting ready to play. You see what happens with it? We feel good about where Eli is. He's our starting quarterback. Let's let's rephrase that, okay? He is our starting quarterback. And we have a young player that we think is going to be an outstanding player getting himself ready to play. End quote. That was his initial answer. Everything else that followed was essentially a rewording of that answer. But I, I wanted to throw out the initial question and the initial answer because then it really became a game of let's phrase the question differently, Paul, and let's see if we can get a different worded answer out of him. Oh, it became a fishing expedition because there Very well those guys who were tossing their reels and their lines into the water, <laughs> just hoping that somehow if they kept asking the same thing in different words, that somehow Coach Shermer would use a different word and slip up and come up with something that they could turn into an even bigger headline. That's what it was all about. They, they were fishing. And to Coach Shermer's credit, he wasn't biting. No, not at all. But he also wasn't wording it to their liking so that they could have the beautiful soundbite or quotation. Oh, they were very frustrated. Well, from listening to it, and I advised at the tail end of yesterday's show, I said, for the sake of context, Paul, I think it's important for any fan, any media member who may have heard it from another person or through another article to go back. The full presser is on Giants.com and listen to the back and forth Mm -hmm. so that nothing in your mind is out of whack or blown out of proportion. Exactly. It's important in these circumstances to go to the source and listen to it. Now, we're not going to waste valuable time on this program to play Pat Shermer's full 12-minute press conference when, as we mentioned, it's already up here on Giants.com. But I would advise anyone, before you overreact to any article that you may have read, Actually watch what Pat Shermer had to say. But but I want to pull back the layers even further before we open up the phone lines, Paul. And I don't think there's anything wrong, even if you're reading too much into what Pat Shermer said. What is wrong with the phrase of, we have a starting quarterback, but at the same time, Daniel Jones should be ready and should treat himself as if he's the week one starter because of the uncertainty in any team. In any situation, you don't know how games are going to play out, how injuries are going to play out. So I don't think it's out of whack or a stretch for Pat Shermer to say, yeah, Eli's our starter, but at the same time, Daniel Jones, we expect him to be as similar or as close to a starter and ready to get in there week one. Well, let's make something very clear for, for those folks, and obviously there were a bunch of them yesterday who don't understand a football coach's mentality. Every head coach in this league... When he takes his 53-man roster into opening day, expects all 53 of those guys to be, quote, ready to play because they have to be. Every single one of those guys who is not starting in that first game is one snap away from getting into a game and having to function at an NFL level. 
So when Pat Shermer says Daniel Jones has to get ready to play, well, guess what? Every single other guy on that 90-man roster right now who expects to be on the 53 is in the same boat, Lance. He's in the exact same boat. There's nothing special about saying Daniel Jones has to get ready to play because the entire roster has to get ready to play. So that's number one. And if anybody anybody who was addressing the coach yesterday had any idea or concept of what a football coach's mentality is, then they would have understood that. But apparently the confusion abounded. Now, there's another issue here, and that is Daniel Jones is sharing second-team reps right now with Alex Tanney during the spring. A, nobody is going to win a job on the depth chart in shirts and shorts. That's number one. That's why a team like the Giants does not put out a depth chart during spring practices because it's pointless. <laughs> there, there is no official depth chart. Number two, the fact that he's that he is sharing second team snaps with Tanny, combined with the fact that Pat Shermer had said a couple of weeks ago that because he was sharing snaps, there was certainly an opportunity for him to compete with Tanny. He never said, ever said that Jones was competing with Eli Manning. But he was sharing snaps with Tanny because when he was pushed on, is it possible that, that Daniel Jones could wind up being your number two quarterback? Pat Shermer said, that's, that's possible. He, sure, he could be the number two. We'll, we'll have to see how he develops. We'll have to see how it goes. Well, if you take that at face value, well, then why are you even asking the question about if he's got a chance to compete for number one. This is a guy who at his very ceiling right now has a chance to compete for number two. So how does the logic follow that you're going to ask if he's competing for number one if he hasn't even won the number two job yet? The, the, the foolishness and the ridiculousness of the line of questioning really baffled me. I'm with you, and I think it's just another pure example of how everybody, fans, media, all alike, it's just everybody's yearning to come up with some type of a storyline or a narrative because we actually don't have meaningful football yet, and we're reaching for you know leaves and trying to make something out of it, but it should be left on the floor with all of the other stuff that is completely blown out of proportion. So once again, do not read into much of anything that Pat Shermer had to say and take it miles, miles upon what was just said on the surface because at this point, and as Paul mentioned, they haven't put the pads on. So anybody with any depth chart in their mind, it's evolving and things are going to change. And I think the reason why, this gets us to the next point, Paul, when Pat Shermer was asked the same question worded 7,500 different ways, you know, he, he kept emphasizing, we're going to play the best players. You know, things could change. The reason why he's emphasizing that is, why should any coach, I'm talking big picture perspective, I'm not just talking about the Giants, why should any coach be locked in to anything at this stage of the offseason, Paul? I mean, how much do things change after one week of training camp, after the first preseason game? Guys go down, you bring in new faces. So why should he go on the record June 11th, and then you could then bring back the quote in August and say, well, coach, you know, back in June, you said this guy was locked in as the number one. You know, that's why he's opening the door in my mind with the phrase, 
It's a competition. Things are bound to change because why should he lay out all the facts right now? Well, he, he has never used the word competition no, 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 but I'm talking in terms about of Eli with, and with Daniel other Jones. Positions, though. Though, oh, I'm yeah. Talking about, the, just the, 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 the incumbents who are entrenched in the job, we know Solder is the starting left tackle. We know Hernandez is the starting left guard. It's we not know, a mystery. We know Saquon Barkley is the starting running back. Well, but I also don't and Eli's the starting QB. So, so we know for the most part who the incumbent starters are. And I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that even a newcomer like Jabril Peppers is going to start in the secondary, okay? But but even Pat Shermer has not come out and said Mike Remmers is starting at right tackle. Right now, it's, well, his back is getting better. He's working on the side with the trainers. Let's see how it goes. And we can surmise in all likelihood that he will win the starting job opening day. But that has yet to be determined on the field. So Coach Shermer is not going to commit to that. And why should he? Okay. Um, And so, again, ultimately, it's laughable at how Coach Shermer gets pushed and prodded and, again, becomes the target of a fishing expedition for ridiculous storylines that people need to create headlines and to draw attention to themselves and add to the clickbait. And really, ultimately, that's what we're talking about here. 100%. And the reason why I threw out the phrase of competition and whether he's referring to the first guys, the second guys, the third guys is things change in life. I'm thinking way beyond the realm of sports here, Paul. So I would never put it upon my coach and hold him to the exact words that he says in the middle of June when he has yet to get a full padded practice out of his team. So... He could he could come out right now with a depth chart. Would I be stunned if the guy that he has penciled in, Paul, is the third wide receiver well, changes? This is why it's laughable when you he's, when you see some people who are at practice type out on Twitter, this is the Giants starting lineup at, at OTA number five. Really? <laughs> well, first of all <laughs> Really? Well but but here's why that's kind of comical. Because if you're gonna type that out, which deserves a chuckle. You brought up the offensive line. Right now, Nate Solder's not playing, right? Because he's right. sidelined. So Mahalik is the left tackle. And Mike and, Remmers is also. Right. And Wheeler is the right tackle right now. Mahalik and Wheeler are the two starting tackles right now. So if you went on Twitter and you wrote out, this is the Giants' first team offensive line. And let's say an individual read that who does not follow the team closely. Okay? Because you can't expect everybody to be following the team like you and I or even some fans. Everybody's got different hobbies and so forth. Somebody in Arizona reads that. Somebody in Arizona reads that and picks up on that. And they're saying to themselves, why is Brian Mahalik lining up at left tackle? And let's say you didn't realize Nate Solder had off-season surgery. So if you didn't do your homework, you run with a headline about, oh, Brian Mahalik getting first-team reps. And it's not even a story because everybody understands. Solder's sideline. So Mahalik's getting the reps. There's nothing to read into it. Same thing with Remmers is still recovering from the back injury. There's nothing to read into it. Context. It's important when you have a discussion. Okay, now that we got that all out, we can breathe, we can digest it, and we can open up the phone lines. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. You can't get to the phone. Feel free to tweet at us. We'll try to read as many tweets throughout the course of the program. I know some days when we get a lot of calls, we try to appease them, but we'll try to do a little bit more of a balanced attack today. Brandon is in South Carolina. He gets us going on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Brandon? Hey, what's going on, guys? How you guys doing? Doing very well. What's on your mind? Uh, Hey, um, I just had uh, two questions for you guys. Um, 
I'm a big time Giants fan. I've been Giants fan for like 16 years now. I love Landon Collins. He's my favorite Giant. Um, I was a big fan of his at Alabama. So when we actually traded up in the draft to grab him, I was stoked. Sure. Um, when we when we didn't re-sign him, um, I was kind of upset. But then when we you know made the, the trade for Odell, and then we acquired Jabril Peppers, I was kind of I was kind of optimistic about it. My buddy's a, a Redskins fan, so. He was uh, so excited to get Landon Collins. But I'm, I was just talking to him the other day. He thinks I'm crazy. But I just wanted to run, run it by you guys. Do you think that Jabril Peppers could actually be an upgrade? Not not, not better at what Landon Collins does. Because I feel like Landon Collins is the best box safety in the NFL. Yes. My question is, is that I, do you think that Jabril Peppers could actually be an upgrade? Because Jabril Peppers can actually cover running backs. He can cover the slots, cover the tight end. He can return kicks, he can return punts, and he's a little better in coverage. And you can put him up top as opposed to Landon Collins. You just got to put him in the in the box, and you got to kind of hope that you know he doesn't draw uh, um, single one-on-one coverage out there. Brandon, so, I'm going to make this simple for you. You're comparing apples and oranges, even though they're both safeties. Because their skill sets are clearly different, they need to be graded on a different plane. And, and Peppers is not Collins, and Collins is not Peppers. But here's one right. thing that you can tell your friends. Okay, John Schmelk, one of our co-hosts here on the show, came up with something called PPD, production per dollar. He coined the phrase. I love the phrase. Because when you talk about value or production per dollar, consider what Peppers can give you on the field for the salary that he will make that is charged on your salary cap compared to the enormous numbers of, uh, of dollars that Landon Collins got from the Washington Redskins. And you can see that value-wise, or PPD, production per dollar, Jabrell Peppers is a far better get than Landon Collins is. And you could take it even a step further. You don't even have to factor in the money he got from the Redskins. You factor in what the Giants, let's say, would have had to pay him just on the franchise tag, Paul, compared to what Pepper's rookie contract looks like. So, I mean, that's apples and oranges. And that, I should say, should not be overlooked when you continue to this day to evaluate the trade the financial ties to Jabril Peppers, the, the lack of stress that he puts on the cap compared to, not to say Collins was a good player, but what you would have had to designate to Collins, even if he kept him on the franchise tag, all of that has to be taken into consideration when you make decisions like and this. And don't forget the injury history either. Yeah, well, of course. Peppers is all, a healthy player, and Collins has gone through multiple, three surgeries now on his arm. But but just to piggyback off of the point that you brought up, Brandon, you know, you started to bring up what Peppers brings to the table as a return guy. And and that's why I think it's important for Paul to mention it's unfair to bring Collins into that conversation because Collins is not a return guy. So right. I'm not gonna fault Landon Collins. I'm not gonna downgrade right. Landon Collins, Brandon, I guess is what I'm saying, because he just right. was not asked to do that. Th- that's just additional versatility that Peppers brings right. to the table. So it's, it's apples and oranges. It really is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess. I guess. I guess. It, uh, a better way to phrase it is: Would you think do you guys think Jabril Peppers could be a better fit for the defense that James Betcher is going to play? Because Landon Collins can only play, and I love Landon Collins. He's the well, best in the business at being a boxer. He, he, Brandon, to be fair, I, we've said this on the show before, so I'm not breaking new ground here. I think the problem is the complementary pieces that, that Collins was playing with did not necessarily fit his skills well. 
I don't think it was so much him fitting into the scheme, although he has since said he thinks that the Redskins scheme is better for him. But the pieces around him did not fit him very well. And I think the Giants have made some changes to get younger and faster in the back seven, which will actually bode well for Jabril Peppers. So, look, again, please let, let me make this very clear for about the 500 billionth time. I am a huge Landon Collins fan, okay? I thought he was a terrific giant. I'm thrilled to see that he himself said the other day that John Mara personally phoned him after he signed with the Redskins and had a conversation with him and Brandon, to tell him how much you, he was appreciated. We're going to let you go just because of the noise in the background, but do appreciate you weighing in. I didn't mean to cut you off, Paul. I'll let you. No, uh, I, I think point. that's important to note because a lot of folks just feel as though, and I understand based on Landon's comments, uh, when he wound up leaving via free agency, uh, that, that he certainly sounded like he felt singed. But subsequent to that, he has admitted to receiving a phone call from John Mara, which made him feel a heck of a lot better because the Giants do appreciate what he did. He was a very, very, very good player. In fact, an excellent player on a team that struggled mightily during most of his time here. And you know what? As, as a kid growing up, I can remember some Giants teams in the late 60s and early 70s that also had some very, very good players. And they struggled mightily. I mean, Spider Lockhart comes to mind as a an All Pro safety who made you know uh, uh, what three I think three All Star games, you know. But the Giants were not very good. It's just bad timing, you know. If Landon Collins had been on 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 the team that had won the the 2011 Super Bowl instead of Kenny Phillips. You know, maybe maybe some people would look at him differently, or maybe some people would look at Kenny Phillips differently if he wasn't on a team that won a Super Bowl. I just think it was bad timing. The Giants are in a reconstruction period where, you know what, they're trying to get younger and faster, they're healthier, and they're also trying to enhance the talent across the board on the roster while staying economically smart. That didn't fit where Landon Collins was in his career. Well, I agree with all of the points that you brought up. I just want to add a few things, especially when you noted the talent around him, because that, I think, is a key piece of this discussion. Landon Collins, and this is not to make excuses, but the dynamics between teammates is extremely important. Sure it is. Landon Collins last season played next to Curtis Riley. Curtis Riley was a converted corner being asked to now play a new position on a regular basis. That cannot be lost in this conversation. So, Paul, now, Jabril Peppers, and this is why I don't think the comparison is fair, and I know we're going to see a lot of comparisons, whether Peppers' production is through the roof or whatever it is in 2019. People are always going to make the comparison, oh, great move by the Giants, bad move by the Giants. But Peppers is now playing next to a seasoned pro in Antoine Buffet. So you go from Landon Collins with Curtis Riley, change in position for Riley, to Jabril Peppers, a young up-and-coming safety, playing next to Antoine Bethay, who I just spoke to for our latest podcast that is now up on Giants.com, and talked about him in great detail, Paul. He has plenty of experience being asked to go next to various personnel during the course of his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was with Indianapolis early in his career, Bob Sanders, who was a great player, but Bob Sanders also was plagued by injuries. So every year, Antoine Bethea would be asked to line up next to a variety of different guys. But just think about the luxury, in my opinion, that Peppers has to lean on a guy like Bethea, whereas Collins 
not that Riley didn't play football, but Riley was learning as he was going last season, Paul. Well, consider this. You mentioned that Riley was a converted corner into a free safety. Well, both Peppers and Bethay have played the strong safety spot and the free safety spot yeah. during their NFL careers. And that's one of the things that Bethay has talked about in the past. In fact, he just mentioned it last week at a presser when I specifically said to him, how much does that help both of you that you have both played both positions? And he said immensely because they can get inside each other's heads because they've both played each other's position. You see the field better essentially too. Because you've got different angles. Just like somebody, Paul, that is interchangeable between corner and safety, they see things, to me, much different than mm-hmm. somebody who only played one of the two positions. Without a doubt. It's basic you know, X's and O's common sense that is operating simultaneously there. So football IQ is a cliched term that is thrown out, but there's validity behind that, especially with somebody with experience. The other thing that I wanted to add before we head back to the phone lines related to what you were talking about and the question that the last caller left us with, which is, is Peppers a better fit for the scheme than Landon Collins, which is a little bit different in terms of the personality he was playing with next. I think of Dayon Buchanan, Paul. Deion Buchanan was a key player in Arizona with James Betcher, who started off as a safety, was converted to a linebacker. And the reason I bring him up, Landon Collins, a lot of people throw out, you know, he's sort of a linebacker playing safety, which I don't think is true. But I think Landon Collins, if you ask him to play linebacker, Paul, I don't think you're throwing him into the land of the unknown. (laughs) I I think he'd be He's a box safety is what he is. Right. So if you said, hey, Landon, stay in the box, do your thing, Landon would say, sure. I'm going to fill up the stat sheet. So the reason I bring that up is if Betcher thrived with a guy like Buchanan and asked him to play down in the box and moved him around, then then anybody who wants to run with the narrative that Landon Collins wasn't a good fit, I, I don't think is a fair synopsis of the situation. I don't think so either. In fact, that's one of the things that we talked a lot about when Betcher got here is that Collins will do very well for Betcher. So to use revisionist history would be wrong. Okay, it would be flat out wrong. So, you know, hey, whatever Landon wants to say now, I understand. I'll take it with a grain of salt. Uh, It will not change my opinion of him as being a terrific giant. Heck, he was a finalist for NFL Defensive Player of the Year a couple of years ago. Okay, I'm not going to change my opinion about Landon Collins at all. He was a terrific giant. He was a great guy to talk to in the locker room. He produced and gave the Giants everything he had for the time that he was here. You know what? Timing, circumstances, again, economic factors and other things uh, prompted the Giants to make a change. That's it. No no hard feelings. Now, one of the phrases that Dave Gettleman uses a lot is decisions are not made in a vacuum, Paul. And Landon Collins, to me, is the perfect Very example of that. Very true. You don't make that decision just on an island with Landon Collins. You're factoring in the other parts of your team and how economically you're going to construct it. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with, unfortunately, Charlie in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. What do you say, Charlie? Uh, hey, uh, just, yeah, just, I mean, on the whole Landon Collins thing, the guy was a pro bowler, all pro, and he never, ever had a free safety next to, next to him that was even adequate, was even adequate. And he still ended up all pro, you know, pro bowl three seasons. I mean, the guy, and, and, and I don't think they utilize his strength. I think 
this this system made uh, you know made uh, him Collins do things that wasn't his strength. And I think now that if he, he's in Washington and they have a free safety, and I don't know who it is, if he is even just good or just you know solid, he's going to have one hell of a year, you know. And uh, you guys, you know, you guys said it. I mean, Riley, Riley was, as we all know, was terrible. He was terrible, and that goes on. That goes on Gettleman for not getting a free safety, a real free safety, and that goes on him for not doing that. But I don't want to get onto that. But my next thing was the whole thing with Shermer and Eli and Jones. Look, Eli's a start, period. All he had to say is our plan is we brought him back for one reason, to start 16 games this year. And if you know something changes, it changes. But our plan, he's our starter for 16 games, period. And I think what he was saying about Jones is he's expectations he's throwing out there that this guy is going to be the – like I said before, the backup starting September 8th because they are, you know, they are just like pumping this guy up so much that if he is, fails and he isn't the, is the backup quarterback, to me it's a fail. It's a well, Charlie, fail. we've had this conversation before, and, I I, and, I, and, I, I and I've said I'm okay with Jones not becoming the number two until October, but I'm going to tell you something. He has been so impressive during these last several weeks of the spring offseason program that I think he's making a big push to potentially be the number two guy a heck of a lot earlier, and maybe he will be the number two guy in week one. Heck, what if the Giants only keep two quarterbacks on the 53? Then he's going yeah. to be the number two. Well, then the yeah, decision is exactly. easy. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope they only have two and keep Dungy there, the guy who's a tight end quarterback, as the emergency guy, yeah. and save well, a roster. Charlie, to this point, and I'm I'm not kidding you, to this point, Daniel Jones has checked all the boxes. It's only shirts and shorts, and I make that very clear to everybody. Okay? But it's better to check all the boxes now than not check all the boxes now. Because this is the first baby step you take on your way to crawling and then running. And and better that he has checked all the boxes than he didn't. Now, I will add one other thing. Uh, I thought it was significant yesterday. Winds were about 15 miles an hour here at the Meadowlands, gusting to 25 and it was a hard wind out of the West. And as you know, the Meadowlands winds are notorious for doing things with a football, especially when you're trying to throw it. And we had seen some winds over the course of the, the, the spring session, but nothing like yesterday. Yesterday was the strongest winds that I'd seen since the rookies reported. And I asked some of the coaches about it because I wanted to make sure that I, I had felt it correctly. And they agreed with me. Yeah, this nothing was worse than this. This was, this was about the strongest winds we had faced. So I specifically watched Daniel Jones yesterday to see him throw the ball. Now, I haven't had a chance to speak to Coach Shermer privately about it, but I wanted to ask him, yesterday during the spring drills, the offense only went with the wind. They right. did not go against the wind at any time during yesterday's practice session. They only went with the wind. Almost all of the throws were short throws which were unaffected. Daniel Jones threw two passes that I would consider of significant length. Both of them were high and long and sailed because the wind was behind them. Right. So when I caught up to Daniel after practice, I specifically pulled him on the side and asked him about it. I said, did you ever feel winds like that before? And he goes, well, let's say I've heard about them. He said, what did you think they were? I said, well, they were about 25 with the gusts today. 
He said, and how high do you think they get? I said, in the Meadowlands, they can get up to about 40 miles an hour when they're really at their peak on occasion in November and December. He goes, that's very interesting. I said, so what you need to do is you and Eli need to to have a conversation about this. Talk about the wind conditions, especially inside the stadium. I said, this is something you're going to learn with time and experience. And he goes, wow. He goes, that's really interesting. I said, well, I said, I've seen you throw in, in, in 15 to 20 mile an hour winds. I've seen you do that out on the practice field and you look fine. I've seen you throw with a wet ball because they've had some rain. I said, you look fine. But I said, I was kind of curious. I wanted to see you throw into the 25 mile an hour winds today. But Coach Schirmer didn't have the offense going that way. So I couldn't see that today. And I wanted to. He goes, well, he goes, I guess we'll see it at some point. I said, I'm sure we will. But I said, in the meantime, you do your wind study with Eli because it took him time to learn them, just like it took Phil Simms time before him. It's a different beast. Now, I will say this. The MetLife Stadium is different than Giant Stadium. The winds are not nearly as vicious as they were in the old building, but they still do exist. And, And at least on first inspection yesterday when it got real heavy, Daniel Jones's ball flew and took off, and he's going to have to learn how to adjust given the wind conditions of the North Jersey climate in November and December specifically. But, but that was the first hiccup that I have seen from Daniel Jones since he got here. And it's a little nuance, okay? But when you have, yeah. when you have a real football eye, these are the things you look for. Hey, well, maybe he should go on the off season here. That he should go practice in the wind tunnel and uh, see how see if. How well, I don't think he's allowed on the property. To be perfectly frank with you, the CBA doesn't allow the players well, to be on the property during the uh, no, during I mean, the, the in, dead you know, period. It's time off. Well, it's Charlie, why off. don't you invite him out to your facility in Maine? I mean, you clearly have a state of the art facility, right? You you fine tune offensive linemen. There's no reason why you can't have the quarterback come over. Hey, I just wanted to say one more thing about the offensive line. I was trying to call in uh, yesterday when you guys were talking about the offensive and line. And you didn't get through, yeah. which was a big win for us, by the way. But go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I know it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure it was. I'm oh, we sure celebrated after the program. Yeah, it was one of hey. our finest moments. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say is, like, you were talking about, like, you know, our drives are always stopping, blah, 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 and that's why we always had long third downs instead of good first and second downs. And the main reason was our offensive line had so many stupid penalties all the time. Either it was like, you know, holding or, or offsides or illegal motion. Every time we started to drive, it was like, oh, back 15 yards, oh, back 10 yards. So hopefully with the, with the veterans that we got on the line now, that won't be the case as much. I think that's an interesting point. I haven't looked that closely. I'm actually I'm bringing up my penalty chart because I log all the penalties, and, and I'm curious who was on the high side last season and whether or not there maybe is some validity behind that. In terms of most penalties on the team in 2018, you had B.J. Hill and B.W. Webb each had nine. Those were the two leaders. Then Jamon Brown was tied for second with Scott Simonson. They each had six. And by the way, I should mention, these are only accepted penalties, just so we're clear. And then you had Josh Morrow and Janoris Jenkins with five apiece. So there wasn't a lot of offensive linemen that I just named. But if you just look at the surface over the course of the season, Charlie, I I could give you examples in games where, as you mentioned, 
because of penalties, it put them into second and third and longs, which put them in a very precarious spot. For example, the Eagles game in Philadelphia, and this is a big talking point with Giants fans. I'm sure you also have a very strong opinion, but we'll maybe hold that aside for this segment (laughs) of the program. But a lot of people are still opinionated about that Saquon Barkley should have got more work in the second half of that game, if you recall, just to provide context. And what I counter that with is if you go back to those drives— they were yeah. putting themselves in second and third and longs because of penalties against the penalties, offensive yeah. line. Yes. Goldman was running fine, but we had so Bingo. many penalties. They kept driving us Boy, back. Charlie, there must be a full moon out tonight. You're making too much sense today. <laughs> I don't know what's going on Charlie, here. of the returning offensive lineman, Nate Solder uh, had been called for four flags during the course okay. of the season, uh, two yeah. of which were declined. Yeah. They always seem to come, though, at critical times, you know. They, yeah. You know, on drives that we needed to have, or we're back up in our end zone, or we, our drive, we're, you know, running down the field, and all of a sudden, you know, we get these penalties, and they were just, you know, timely. They were just too timely. So hopefully that will, uh, maybe we'll, we can uh, cut back well, on that. Well, remember and, uh, something, Charlie. Drives. Penalties in some way are the byproduct of communication and chemistry issues. And when you consider that the Giants' offensive line, the whole first half of the season was a jumbled mess. Yeah. You have to understand, those things are going to happen. You know, yeah. now that these guys have had the whole offseason to be together, again, I know Remmers has been working on the side with the trainers, but four of the five guys pretty much know where they're going to be. We've already heard many times how Hernandez and Solder have talked about how during the end of last season, they finally felt like they were a twosome on the left side. Those kinds of things will automatically cut down on the penalties. Yep, that's what I'm hoping for, and uh, I still think we need a vet swing tackle, but at least for now, we're we looking good. Well, if you didn't think that way, we would have thought something would be wrong with you, Charlie, <laughs> so appreciate that, and we'll let you off Thanks, on that very high note, as usual, All right, commentary Charlie. with respect to the offensive line. One of the things that I want to There's not much for him to complain about these days. Well, well They've done a tell, lot of upgrades on this roster. See, the thing is, he's going to have the players go their separate ways. He's going to have his six weeks to really get down and dirty <laughs> and find things to complain about, Paul. So do not poke the bear, okay? Do not oh poke the bear. We do not okay. need to open up Pandora's box. One of the things that I wanted to mention... That with respect to Charlie, and a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light, and we'll continue to field your phone calls at 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. I've got some tweets up here. We'll get to that as well. Yes, is, sir. And, and you disagreed with him, I think, as you emphasized, but I do not view, let's say there's a hypothetical. If the Giants decide to keep three quarterbacks, Paul, and Eli Manning is the number one guy, Alex Tanney, they give a jersey to, let's say, in week one, okay? okay? Because they don't dress three. Daniel Jones is on the roster, but let's say they dress two. Manning and Tanney are the two that get jerseys. I don't look at that as a failure for Daniel Jones or a failure in the eyes of the organization because, once again, Daniel Jones was not drafted to make an immediate impact in week one of the 2019 regular season, Paul. Daniel Jones was drafted to be the future franchise quarterback, which means long-term he was drafted, not immediate results because Eli Manning is the starter. So why are we getting caught up on a simple detail, and, and I think it's a minor detail, of whether or not Daniel Jones gets a jersey for week one? And remember, Guys that get jerseys the first week doesn't mean they're guaranteed to get jerseys the second week. The inactive list fluctuates. So Daniel Jones could be the number two guy one week. He could be the number three guy another week. 
It could certainly go back and forth depending on matchups, how many players they need active, who's hurt on the roster. So you shouldn't read into what happens week one when week two can completely follow a new script. Understood. So that's all I wanted to say that I I, I don't think we should be sitting here, and I'm saying this right now because I'll give you the same answer. If week one comes around and Daniel Jones, they keep three quarterbacks, Daniel Jones does not get a jersey week one, now, I don't want to hear this narrative and this dialogue. Oh, my God, it was the worst pick ever. What's going on? It could simply be because of the dynamics of the rest of the roster, and it has nothing to do with Daniel Jones's upside and so forth. So don't go too crazy with that type of a storyline. Let's. Now, um, I do want to add one other add thing about yeah. this quarterback situation. Uh, we know that Kyle Oletta would be eligible for the practice squad. Indeed. I do not know based on how often there are tweaks to the practice squad rules, if Alex Tanney would qualify as one of those veteran exceptions. Well, the veteran exception, though, Paul, and I could be mistaken, but I thought the veteran exception was minimum, maximum, excuse me, two years in the league. And what I mean by two years in the league is you've had to at least been active and up for six games because that means an accrued season. Well, here's the the problem, though, that they often do a little tweaking to the practice squad rules, and we don't really hear about them because nobody publicizes them very much. Fall under the radar. So what I'm saying is, what I need to double-check, and and I'm just telling you folks this because I am going to do it, hopefully by the next time I'm on on the program, I want to find out, have the practice squad rules been tweaked at all? And is someone like Alex Tanney eligible for the practice squad? Because that could clearly impact his ability to stay here, whether or not they want to put him on the 53, or maybe is it potential, uh, is there a potential for him to be a veteran exception on the practice squad? I'm not sure. And I'm telling you that, folks, only because they do often tweak the rules for practice squad, and nobody ever hears about them until opening day all of a sudden. You know, the rosters get cut, and then you see, like, how'd that guy get the practice squad? Oh, yeah, they changed the rules again. All of a sudden, he's eligible. So I don't, I don't want to make any assumptions on this. But if the Giants keep three quarterbacks, I think it's likely that it will be Eli Manning, Alex Tanney, and Daniel Jones. Whatever the order, I don't care. I think those are your, your three on the 53. That's fair. If they are only going to keep two on the 53, well, it's going to be Manning. It's going to be Daniel Jones. And if Tanney is eligible for the practice squad, does he take the practice squad spot away and then Alex uh, Kyle Loletta gets squeezed out? Or do they keep two and say, okay, Manning and Jones, and then Kyle Loletta lands on the practice squad? I think these are all in play unless there's something in the rules that says one of those situations is not. I will check on, on those rules hopefully by tomorrow's program. I'm looking up. These are the rules as of last season just to relate to what we were just talking about. So 2016 was the year that they adopted a change, which was that up to four players per practice squad can have two accrued seasons, which is what I was just talking about, which to me is that veteran exception. Then everybody else has to be limited to players who have been on an active roster for fewer than six games, because six games is the key for an accrued season, or on a 46-man active game day roster for fewer than nine games. So it's either you were 
playing for six or you were active, meaning you didn't get into a game for fewer than nine. That's the wording in terms of practice squad eligibility. But as Paul noted, they may make some tweaks before the start of the 2019 season, and not every year it's highly publicized, but those are at least the rules as it stands right now coming out of 2018. Well, here's the problem. When you talk about being on the active roster, for as many years as Alex Tanney has been in the league, he was on the active roster of, of the Kansas City Chiefs in 2012, the Titans in 2014, and the Titans in 2015. Uh, then also with the Giants in 2018. But only appeared in one game through all of those years that he was yeah. actually on the 53. Well, what we need to know is, and I'm looking at your screen because I went to his pro football reference, they don't tell you how many games, though, he was active for on no, that chart. No, no. So we need, we need to know. It's not the appearance. It's, it's how many times was he given a jersey when they made it the 46 And that's what roster. makes this a very Correct. complicated answer. But I do think it's something worth pondering because we don't know if the Giants will have two or three quarterbacks on their 53. And that does make a difference. Now, I'll give you a good example. If you look at NFL.com, okay, they've got Alex Tanney being on the 2013 Browns, the 15 Titans, the 16 Titans, and the 18 Giants. That's what they list on his NFL ledger with only one game for the Titans in 2015, but that does not list how many times he was on the 53 or how many times he was given a jersey on Sunday or anything like that. They don't break any of that stuff down. So it's going to require a little sleuthing to find out exactly what his eligibility is. Yeah, I love pro football reference. I think it's an excellent site. I I think the one thing, though, if we were to complain since it's relevant to this dialogue is it'd be nice if they had games, games started, and games active. Yes. When yes. I put another column, because to your point... I've never seen any chart that lists game actives I. for anybody. But because of the practice squad rules, and just if you want to see how many seasons a guy accrued, it's always good to know. So to your point, Tanny got into one game in 2015. Okay, he played in one game. He could have had a jersey for nine others, which means well, he was active for ten. Look at it this we way. We don't know. 2012, he was on IR the whole season with the Chiefs. All right, so then we know He that made that's the a, team, but he was IR. All right, so that's a wasted season. So he wasn't on the 53. Exactly. Yeah. So Does the rest of his page, though, tell you at all? I mean, you're on Wikipedia, which is also helpful sometimes it can in be. terms of how many games he appeared in. But that's uh, it's definitely it's an answer that requires homework and homework with the league office consulting. It really does. When it comes to this. It really does. There's no doubt I mean, about that. And, and the crazy thing is you talk about Chatty in his particular case, 2012 is his first pro experience in terms of being in a camp and being with a club, albeit on injured reserve. That's a lot of years. But but again, just check out his career history. 2013 practice squad Cowboys. Uh, 13 also with the Browns for a short period of time. At the very end of the season, they take him off the Cowboys practice squad. Then you look at Buccaneers, uh, Titans, Bills, Colts, four organizations in a row where he's not a member of the 53-man roster. Yeah, that was just practice squad or offseason on the roster. So, I mean, the guy has bounced around like a ping-pong ball and has a tremendous amount of pro experience, which is one of the reasons Coach Shermer likes him. But yet, when you look at his, quote, official accrued NFL seasons, it's a, it's a crumb. Well, interestingly, though, they have him listed there 
Tennessee 2015 to 2017. And from my experience looking at the wiki page, normally that's accurate, which means that could have been three full seasons. I don't know if he was cut or released in between there, but if if that is accurate, then I would say he probably well, was given a jersey enough to accrue at least two seasons during that period of time. But once again, all, all speculation without knowing for sure how many games he was active. While you anyway look at that, I'll, I want to get to a we'll get phone an answer call from or somebody. A tweet as well. Go no, ahead. But, but it's an important part of the dialogue. There's no doubt about that. So here's a tweet. This comes from at Jag F Podcast. It's only his third year, and there's the fifth-year option on the table, but this is certainly a contract year for Evan Ingram. If he can prove he can be a consistent offensive weapon without Odell Beckham, look for a long-term deal to be signed by the next draft. Well, I don't know if we have to go that far. Here's what I would agree with this tweet, Paul. It's his third year. It's an important year. It's a potential breakout year. That's how I would look at the third year. To say it's a contract year, the fact that the Giants have him under their control with the fifth-year option gives them more flexibility to evaluate. So I wouldn't go so far to say that this is a must-contract year, but it's an important year for Evan Ingram. I would totally agree. So that, I think, would be the way that I would respond to that. At A.J. Marshall 3, I don't know too much about safety Kenny Ladler. He had been making a name for himself in OTAs. So I guess it's a question about... He's been noticeable. Ladder. He's made some plays here and there. He's certainly flashed. I think he's a guy that you know, they'll look at during the course of training camp in the preseason. We, we've we've seen him in coverage and do some good things, been around a couple of turnovers. I, I wouldn't dispute that at all. But again, my problem with the Giants secondary is that I'm not sure how many safeties they're going to be able to keep. I mean, do you keep nine or ten defensive backs... Usually it's five corners and four safeties. That's the usual breakdown. Sometimes we've seen, though, ten in total with six it can feet be done. to the corners. It can be done. But here's the problem. I look at the corners, and if I'm keeping Jenkins, and I'm going to keep Beal, okay. and then I'm going to keep the Baker. three rookies, Baker, Love, Valentine and, and Valentine, okay. and I'm certainly keeping Haley. Okay, so that got you to six already? That gets me to six corners already. So, you know... If I'm going to go nine defensive backs, I'm going six corners and three safeties. Well, here's something to add. Jabril Peppers could play corner, has the ability to do love, that. Love can okay. also play safety. Correct. So we how think. does that then influence, if they feel they have interchangeable pieces at both positions, how does that impact the mindset, Paul, of do we keep the extra corner? Or do we keep the extra safety? Well, let's just say those six corners are on the 53. Then you've got Peppers, Bethay, and Thomas. Those are your nine defensive backs, as far as I'm concerned. Right there, those are your nine. There's, there's no room for anybody else if you're going to go nine. You're going to have to stretch to 10. And then you I have the conversation, so. if you stretch to 10, do you keep the extra corner or do you keep the extra safety? Where's Sean Chandler in this mix? Well, that was going to be another name. Tony Lippett is another name I think is relevant in this conversation. Cameron Moore, you know, who's mainly a special teams guy. All Antonio of Hamilton, very good special teams There's player. another guy. So, yeah, they got some things to think about. But you know what? If you're a coaching staff, you want to be pressed to think it's about good. it. It's good. Right? It's good. You don't want to be saying, all right, we know our no six. And question. unless somebody stuns us, we've got nothing to talk about. It's good. Just so, remember, though, if you yeah. keep 10 defensive backs, you're stealing a spot from another position because you don't usually keep 10. If you keep 10, that means somebody got shortchanged on another place on the roster. 
Well, this reminds me of the conversation running back slash fullback. Because yeah. I would argue it's similar. What happens with Elijah Penny could very well determine where they go with running back. You know, maybe you keep two running backs and Penny's your third and that's it. And you don't go to four. I'm just giving a hypothetical. I'm not saying no, that's I'm, very likely. but I'm keeping Barkley, Goldman, Perkins, and probably Penny. Well, that would push you to four. But if you figure there's more of an emphasis needed on defensive back, remember, you got to take away from I know, somewhere else. Which may be why you go two quarterbacks. Two quarterbacks with a practice squad QB. Yeah. That's why most teams are keeping two quarterbacks. Let's head back to the lines before we wrap up shop. Will is in Houston. Will, welcome to the program. What do you have for us? Yeah, you guys just totally stole my thunder right there. I was sitting there waiting to talk about the fullback, and there you go. Well, it was uh, good talking no with one. you, Will. Thanks so much. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's, it's, it's all cool. So the first thing I want to talk about real quick, just so I don't take up too much of your time, was in regards to the offensive line and penalties. I have another example for you, which actually I think also this last game of the year against the Cowboys was, uh, I think it was second and one from the seven-yard line. Barkley bounces out a run, gets the first down. It's going to be first and goal from the four score a touchdown, you go up two possessions, and you win the game. That that run for the first time gets called back from a holding on Chad Wheeler. Yep. Brings us back to second and 12 from the yep. 15. We settle for a field goal. Cowboys win the game. And, again, you can talk about the defense making a stop. But, again, you run the ball, you score a touchdown, you finish the game on offense the way it's supposed to be done. Just another example of offensive line penalty. Well, and, and without a doubt. No, that's a great example. One other, Will, before I know you want to make a point elsewhere, one that just jumped into my mind, the first Philadelphia game, it was the Thursday night game where Carson Wentz and the Eagles jumped out to such a big lead. If memory serves me correctly, there was the big short pass to Barkley where then he made that big run and he ran wild around the entire Eagles defense from right to left. They got into the red zone. They were backed up because of a penalty on an offensive lineman. I don't remember the offensive lineman off the top of my head. And I think they may have even knocked themselves out of field goal range after it was all said and done because of the penalties or they just settled for three points. But to not walk away with much of anything after a humongous change of momentum play by Barkley is another perfect example to what you're talking about. Yeah, it was a killer last year for sure. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing I want to talk about is with the, the fullback. I, I'm curious to get your guys' opinion. I know, Paul, you just laid out your scenario with running backs. Yeah, I think you said Barkley, Gallman, Perkins, and Penny. I'm thinking about in terms of, again, I'll, I'll coin my own phrase here too, like uh, like Smelk, uh, the production per roster spot, or I guess you can call it the versatility. If, if you have someone like Rod Smith who – I think it's been toyed with with the idea of playing fullback. I don't know if he's actually he has done it. Early in his stage. career with the Cowboys, he right. did toy with it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, with someone that's versatile enough to play tailback, that can catch the ball out of the backfield, that's big. I think he's almost the same size as Penny. Um, you know, if he can play fullback, that opens up a roster spot where then you have Barkley, Gallman, and Smith, which leaves Penny and, um, and Perkins as the odd man out that opens up a lot of opportunities there for your wide receiver and uh, a defensive back depth. So, again, if you can get that production out of a player equal or, or value for a roster spot, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense too. So I'm curious to see how that competition or kind of personnel kind of sways throughout training camp to see maybe where they're lined up. I'm, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. So I'll go ahead and leave you guys with that. I appreciate you taking my call. Will, thanks for weighing in. Even Appreciate more important, uh, start watching the preseason games. You know, tr there's no question that training camp will give us some hints as to which way Pat Shermer wants to go with that spot. But uh, the preseason games are going to tell a lot of that story because if they start using Penny or Rod Smith as a fullback 
and they find out that they're not getting a lot of traction from either guy, well, one possibility is you just do away with the spot. Another possibility is you go grab a fullback off somebody else's team. <laughs> off the waiver wire, which they that could happen did too. before last season. I mean, look at how many new faces they brought in. It took some time for those guys to get acclimated. But I guess I'm not necessarily looking at the flexibility that's created by keeping Rod Smith versus Elijah Penny, Paul, because, see, if you keep Elijah Penny on the roster, Penny gives you enough versatility where he could play fullback, Penny could catch the ball in the backfield, and Penny also, don't forget, Penny was the starting running back for the yes. Arizona Cardinals at he, one he point. He could run the ball. So I, I guess my point is, Penny and Rod Smith, to me, it's more about execution consistency in the preseason because they're both versatile enough where they both, Penny more so could be a every down fullback. They both can catch the ball in the backfield, Paul, and they both can be running backs. So you're not really gaining much more over the other if you keep one of the two. I, that, that's what I mean. See, for me, I've had people say to me, well, is it going to be Rod Smith or Paul Perkins? I disagree. I think it's Penny against Smith. To me, Perkins is a different animal. I I, yeah, I consider well, Perkins, Perkins can't play fullback. I consider Perkins a terrific third down back. He just fits that to a T. That's not the case with Smith, Smith and, and Penny. Smith and Penny are more of that hybrid fullback slash running back than they are third down specialist. Although Smith has done some of that in his career, to me it's Penny versus Smith. And maybe you keep one of them, maybe you keep neither. Well, but also I would argue, and this is why this conversation is so interesting, Wayne Goldman can easily be my third down back, though, Paul. He can do that, too. So my, He can do that, too. My thought process is Barkley and Goldman cover every down for the running game, right? Mm -hmm. I'm covered. One through three. Fourth down, even, I'm covered. And then I keep my fullback. So I think from... Just a mathematical breakdown right there. You could get away with three, two running backs, and then the, the third guy is a running back slash fullback. With the injury potential for that position, I find it very hard to believe they would only go with a combination of only three running backs. What about John Hillman keeping him on the practice squad? The young guy out of Rutgers. Well, again... No, no, but the, the meaning is... I, I thought Robert Martin guy. was a really good practice well, squad and running ultimately back. ultimately was sacrificed for Rod Smith. Right. So um, I don't have a problem keeping a running back on the practice squad. Heck, you might even want to keep two. I mean, I, I, you get a 10-man practice squad. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not unheard of to keep two on there. Well, before we go here, because interestingly, I, and we may not get to the bottom of the answer, is Perkins eligible? I think Perkins is eligible for practice squad. Well, think about it. He was out all of last season, so he's played his two seasons. He would still be eligible. Uh, yeah. At least I, I'm pretty sure Perkins may still be eligible for the practice squad. Just dangling that out there. I could be wrong. That, We'd have to get clarification. That may be possible. Again, I I we have to talk about the practice squad possibilities because they are a very realistic, strategic option when you're formulating your 53. At the same time, without having the up-to-date clarification on the nitty-gritty of those rules, it can be very sticky having that conversation because we could be going in the wrong direction without yeah. having the correct information. So these are things we have to check on as we get closer to training camp. That's going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Appreciate your phone calls. Appreciate your tweets. We will carry on with the conversation tomorrow at noon Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. And as always, stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.